You are listening to Processing Trauma Out Loud, conversations about trauma and healing from two women who are doing the work. My name is Jeremiah Jones, and I am the producer of this podcast. Today, Candace and Cher start a two-part series on attachment wounds that lead to our attachment styles in adulthood. This first episode identifies four attachment styles with deep compassion for why we may struggle with insecure attachment. Listen in as Candace and Cher provide insight to how we develop our attachment style and what we need in order to heal and find more joy in our relationships today. Hi, Cher. Hey, Candace. Good to see you. Good to see you. Happy Monday. Yeah, I know. Early morning. We're we're here bright and early. (laughs) We don't usually record on Mondays, but it just happened to be that this is how it was going to work for our week. Yeah, I'm super excited about our topic today. And it's just so important. And I think it's going to be really helpful for our listeners. Our topic today is going to be talking about attachment wounds that lead to our attachment style as adults. I got excited about this when I was in college back in the day in the nineties, I wish I would have paid attention more, <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. There, there was some, there was a draw for me. I was having babies and I do think it helped to some degree to get a little bit of understanding, but just the current research and especially over the brain and all these studies that have confirmed the importance of early attachment in childhood. I I just really can't get enough right now. I'm, I'm focusing on it pretty intently. It's helping me. I know it's helping you. It's helping people that we love that are, are learning about it as well. And it is important. It's important to our children as we parent them. It was important for us when we were children. And it's so important in the ways that attachment struggles, attachment wounds affect so many aspects, maybe we'll even say every aspect of our current relationships. And so I want to just throw the question out right away, Candace, like, why are we talking about attachment wounds? We're talking about attachment wounds today because like you said, they affect every aspect of our life. I do want to just start off by saying we did not have to have perfect parents or we don't have to be perfect parents to make sure that our children are securely attached. However, the more we understand and know what creates secure attachment, the more we can be aware of how we can do that, not just with our children, but in adulthood, with our friends, with our partners, our spouses. And so really we're, we're doing this because we want people to enjoy their relationships more. I think you said as we were preparing, well, I'm just going to read it because it was just so good. You said that We want to offer education around attachment wounds and styles to gain an understanding of why relationships often look like a battleground instead of a place of love, joy, and rest. And really, that's why we're doing this episode. We want, we, we all have this desire, right? That our relationships are a place where we can give love that is received and that we can receive love that is given. And yet, rather than experiencing that, so often we have, even in our most important relationships, there's an underlying foundation of insecurity. Mm -hmm. And I mean, truth is, 
they have insecurity probably, and we have insecurity there. So that's what we really want to talk about today is just kind of dipping our toes into these deep waters because trauma brings attachment wounds or attachment wounds bring the trauma, right? When we're talking about childhood trauma, developmental trauma, we have to talk about attachment wounds because they're all wrapped up in the same package. Yeah. And so we are going to get hurt and wounded in childhood at times, you know, even, even when we're coming from wonderful, securely attached relationship homes, but really what brings that is not that the child doesn't have any stress, anxiety, and fear. It's that those things are attuned to, they're paid attention to, and the caregiver or the parent brings some level of care and attunement that's soothing. We we often talk about being seen, being soothed, feeling safe, and having that safety. And so we don't want you, we don't want our listeners to hear that if our child or if their child is in that place, that they're going to have these, you know, huge attachment wounds. But we do want to say they need to be tended to in real time as much as we can, that we really are paying attention to when our child or our grandchild, we both have grandchildren that we put this into practice with as best that we can, not perfectly, that we really want to see them and find out what their needs are and meet them the best that we can. As we needed. And I just want to say again, quickly, we talked last week about the big six, um, Adam Young counseling the big six, where he talks about these six really important things that we need in childhood. And if we don't get them, we will have developmental trauma. And these are things like attunement, having our big emotions tended to. And he has six, six big things. So go to Adam Young Counseling and look up the big six. We're not going to talk about them today, but we needed them. And as you said, not perfectly. If our parents got it right about half of the time, or you know, if we get it right with our kids about half of the time, that really is enough to help a person come into adulthood with a sense of security in their relationships that then does enable them to develop healthy relationships and secure relationships. And Mm -hmm. so we're talking particularly to the people who have childhood trauma. And so we're going to dive into these categories of attachment wounds. And I wonder, Candice, if you want to just kind of start the the conversation about there are some categories that have been defined. And let's just talk a little bit about what they are. I want to read a statement that I made as we were having this discussion and you said, oh, that's good. Write it down. Yeah. (laughs) And so, because we were talking about what, you know, we want to offer something of substance here today that will spark people's curiosity to also go learn more. I'll just go ahead and mention right from the beginning, you can learn more. Uh, There's a few of my favorite resources are Dr. Dan Siegel, and he has a website. It's just Dr. Dan and it's S. I-E-G-E-L, drdansegel.com. He has lots of books and articles and wonderful information. You can learn more about attachment. And then one of my favorite podcasts right now is called On Attachment and it's Stephanie Grigg, G-R-I-G-G, I believe. So there's just a few places that our listeners could also go learn more. But what I said is our unhealed wounds are our unconscious drivers 
that lead us to try and meet our current needs in ways that can still hurt us. So the need's not bad, right? The desire is not bad, but the ways that we are trying to meet those needs is what becomes problematic. And so I'm just going to share a little bit about the four different attachment styles and you can kind of get an idea. Maybe you're going to identify with something. I do want to say we usually have a more of a primary one, but we can have more than one and different types of relationships. Oftentimes we're going to identify, Ooh, I think that this is usually my main go-to. Won't get into a lot of the research, but I will just tell you the founder of attachment theory is John Bowlby. And he, he's really the first one that identified in a real significant way that attachment is the lasting psychological connection between human beings. And he saw the importance of that. But then later on, a lady by the name of Mary Ainsworth, and they were both developmental psychologists. She came up with the three attachment patterns. And then a few years later, the fourth one was added, which I'll get into all four of them. Cher, do you want to just read our, or share the quote by Dan Siegel that we thought was so good before I get into the four styles? Yes. Dan Siegel said, the emotional quality of our earliest attachment experience, and I'll just repeat that, the emotional quality of our earliest attachment experience is perhaps the single most important influence of human development. That just feels so huge to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. If if that's true, and I I believe it is, and I know you believe it is. Yeah, this information can be gold. So we're we'll just quickly mention that there is the secure attachment. That is a child who feels seen, who feels soothed when distressed, which brings safety and security to their world most of the time. It's the child that knows they learn, oh, there's ruptures. Sometimes mommy gets mad at me, but mommy comes back and and repairs and talks through the situation. The child begins to expect that they're going to be comforted or tended to when they're distressed. The securely attached child learns that they can depend on others and that it's okay to let others depend on them too. It, It doesn't feel too much for them. They're able to express their needs and their wants with sometimes there's even in securely attached, you can feel a little anxious, but it's not overly anxious to where they get into the insecure attachment style. Securely attached children also learn that sometimes when others do need space as they grow older, it doesn't feel fatal to them. They know that somebody needing a little space isn't a rejection of them really coming through with just the healthy self-esteem for the securely attached child. And then the next three are the insecure attachments. And there's different names for some of these, but the anxious attachment that can be called ambivalent or preoccupied. And this comes from the child who can't depend on the caregiver to consistently meet their needs. It really is a hit or miss situation for them. Sometimes I will be tended to, sometimes I won't, but oftentimes they're not tended to when they truly are distressed and need it. They become anxious because they're not sure they're going to get their needs met. These children grow up into having a high need for connection. They fear being alone. 
there's a constant monitoring or analyzing other people's behavior because that child learns to some degree that if I can figure out a way, like if it's about me, I can figure out a way to get this person to want to connect with me. And so they study people to figure out how can I meet this person's need that will make them want to connect me. It's connect with me. It's a deeply, deeply sad place for a child to have to feel like they're the ones who have to figure out how to get someone to connect with them. And if you're an adult with this and I can struggle with this too, it is very hard because we don't understand that we are deeply loved and worthy of care just because of who we are, not because of what we do for someone. Yeah, so good, Candice. And I'm wanting to kind of name something that, you know, sometimes when people hear this, they can say like, so is this all about just blaming my parents for not being good enough or me not being good enough as a parent? And again, we want to really say like, no, that's not what we're doing here. But the reality is, If we have childhood trauma, we do struggle with these attachment wounds. If we can pull our heart back to, this isn't about um, blaming, Mm -hmm. this is about healing. And if we cannot name the wounds, if we cannot begin to identify some of the things that are going on, we cannot heal. So I wanted to say, I love what you're talking about here. I love that you're naming the hard things and just that kind of that inconsistent relationship that happens in this area of wounding where the child is caught in a place where sometimes the care is there, sometimes it's not. They get very anxious about how to relate to the people in their lives that are meant to bring security. It's very hard to name these things. And and one way that we can possibly be curious is if we think that our parents were perfect, but yet we have these stories that don't line up with us needing to feel and believe that our parents didn't do anything wrong. It usually is an indication of an insecure attachment. And I know that's hard to hear. It, It took me a very long time. And you too, like we had significant stories and we couldn't even name them as trauma. Right. Until we really had other people that could help us know that we can name this as trauma and not demonize our parents. Right. I know this is, this is not quite on our topic, but I do want to name it. (laughs) We're going to come back to this (laughs) soon. Loyalty. And I think we have talked about loyalty structures in the past, but to name what was true it does break a loyalty bond if there was a demand for loyalty. So it's hard. This can be a painful place to go to actually say, yes, I think that as much as I want to say my parents were great or they did the best they could, there was still some real pain here. Yeah, I I think it's such a important topic and and it's something that we can all still struggle with that we really do need to go back and have another episode on that and keep the conversation going. But we'll keep moving on with, there are a few more things that I wanted to say about this anxious, preoccupied or ambivalent attachment. And that is relationships are their top priority. They crave relationship and they can let everything in their lives fall apart. But if they just feel connected to 
this one relationship, they think everything's great. And so it, it can kind of even get into some obsessive compulsive things to attach to a specific relationship. The next one I want to look at, it's the dismissive avoidant or the avoidant attachment style. And this is the child who was rejected repeatedly or is left alone to deal with emotional stress on their own most of the time. These children learn that they really do have to figure life out on their own. They become extremely independent. They believe that it's good for them to be self-reliant and they want other people to be self-reliant because after all, you can meet your own needs. The dismissive avoidant will distance themselves from people who they perceive as needy. They often appear outwardly confident, but there really is this internal fear of just having deep, connected, emotional relationships. You know, the the dismissive avoidant, I want to say that I've thought about this, that attachment wound is actually can be fairly accepted in our society. There, there is this, I don't know, I'd like your thoughts on that share about the culture of the message of it's good to be independent. Can you, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, it's really accepted unless you're married to that person, <laughs> right? Good, good. Because you cannot attach there. They, they will look secure. And, and so this is, you know, this is the dynamic that causes us to get into these relationships for, for a person with insecure hunger and desire for connectedness and stability. This avoidant person is the one who looks very stable, very confident, very together. And so, wow, that's just the right person for me. But Mm -hmm. then when we get into a relationship with them, they can be very distant and they can be very removed from the needs of the relationship that, that would cause healthy and good and intimate connection. So yes, it's accepted in our culture and it's super painful in relationships. I'll just name, I can tend to be toward the avoidant. I was left alone a lot as a child to care for my own emotional needs. I learned to be independent and not need. It can be valued in our society and it can be problematic in relationships. Mm -hmm. I just want to say it's been such an honor and to understand each other's attachment styles because there's times that we can slow down and like, oh, I really, I need to go after Cher right now. I need to ask her some questions or vice versa. And in our Pearl group, just being aware, like if, if they're getting quiet they may be shutting down or it's just been, you know, that's just an example of what this can do for your relationships. It's not only having compassion for your own wounds and how you show up, but you start to like, oh, I know them well enough to know that right now they're getting into that avoidant and I I want to go after them a little bit, but not too much because then they'll run away. <laughs> yeah. 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 Especially at first, not so much anymore. Now I'm like, come and get me, come and get me. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. Dismissive avoidant is, is definitely hard in relationship because they really are, can be 
a level of contentment without the emotional closeness. The last one that I want to just mention, and it is one that I can identify with more, but it's the fearful avoidant, or it can be called disorganized or chaotic. And this attachment wound that becomes a style desires and craves intimacy but pushes it away at the same time, has the ability to open up very quickly and form quick relationships, but then can equally just shut it down pretty quick. There's a lot of confusion for the fearful avoidant, lots of shame and guilt, because at some level, there's that battle of, I want to be close to you, but when you draw close to me, to me, I hurt you and I push you away. I sabotage. And so when you've been in a pattern of that, and if you're watching on YouTube, I'll just raise my hand. I have had that pattern. And I, I remember when I first realized, oh my goodness, my life is starting to make sense. But share, and you walked with me quite a bit through this. I grieved. I mourned. I felt so much anger. And I was so, so sad, like wishing I would have been able to heal these things much earlier in my life because of the pain it's caused me and others. Yes. And I have watched you come into secure earned attachment where your feet are on the ground now in in a way that they just weren't before, like you have more security and particularly, and, and we, we want to hit this, just we're just about out of time, but how relationships like we do have now with one another can help us heal so that we can come to that place of having that what's called secure earned attachment where we can move into relationships in a different way. But yes, I have watched you and it's been glorious. It is. It's, I'm, I'm experiencing it's what you what you said in the beginning, like these places that have been battles for me are just becoming much more quiet, you know, much more stable. And that that's not always just about the relationship. I, I have thankfully been able to sustain some relationships that have been meaningful, but a lot of my battle was so internal. And, and for the most part, I didn't feel safe enough to bring the depths of that battle to other people. Yeah. This was so good. And I do want to talk more about this. Yeah, I think next we'll come back next week and we'll talk because I want to make sure we really hit on what should we look for in a relationship where we can begin to heal these attachment wounds and what does that healing process look like? Is it possible to which we say a hearty? Yes, absolutely. Is it hard work? Yes, Absolutely. And as we begin this journey, our stories begin to make so much more sense. And why we struggle with our stories makes so much more sense. So true. So good to be with you today. Love you, friend. I love you too. Thank you for listening to Processing Trauma Out Loud. Make sure to check out the show notes for links to suggested resources and social media, like subscribe and follow to keep up with our weekly content. And if you don't mind, take a moment to rate and review us. Your feedback is extremely valuable and contributes to the success of this podcast. Music was created by Caleb Paxton and our sound engineer is Jeremiah Jones of Story LLC. We welcome you to join us for more conversations soon. Take care.